Welcome back to another episode of Dirtcast. I am your host, Madeline Davies. I'm very excited to say that I have a co-host in the room today, the beautiful, the luminous, Julian Escobedo Shepherd, Jezebel's esteemed culture editor. We're gonna like go back in time and talk about some Twin Peaks gossip. Hi, I'm so psyched to be here. I'm luminous because I'm wearing face gloss. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was, I meant to say like, I feel like there's a sheen to her. You know, it's highlighter. That's not true. <laughs> I think that, I think you're luminous just because of your spirit. <sighs> so Twin Peaks, a show created and directed by auteur director, David Lynch, just debuted its third season many years, decades after its first two seasons um, on Showtime. Um, which is not Shatime. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an Italian uh, network <laughs> called a Shatam. Um It's interesting just because it is a show that has such an intense fandom, and Julianne is one of those fans. Hey. And so we're gonna get into like the old goss. We're gonna talk a little bit about the new goss. Also, we're gonna play a little game where I'm gonna quiz Julianne on the best eyebrows of David Lynch <gasps> movies. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This no, that's so mean. Everyone in Twin Peaks, the original Twin Peaks had the best eyebrows. They have the best eye. I think like it's like a Lynch thing. Like all of the women have amazing eyebrows. Come to think of it, all of the new women and a couple of the men have also really amazingly groomed eyebrows. Well, and I guess one thing we should point out is that uh we will probably be talking some spoilers from like the first two seasons cuz that aired in the 90s and you guys cannot claim spoilers on it. As for the new season, we might allude to some stuff, but it should be spoiler free. I'll keep it that way. Yeah, you better. I will. <laughs> um, first things first, I have to apologize to the Cannes Film Festival because in our last episode, I said that Sofia Coppola won the Palme d'Or. She didn't. She won Best Director. I don't know how movie festivals work. And for that, I apologize. Um... But that's all. That's the only thing I've ever gotten wrong. So I'm not that worried about it. I'm sure Can will accept your apology. Well, and Sophia, who's like definitely listening to yes. my every word, is just like, oh, finally, I can forgive Madeline. <laughs> what up, Al Fanning? <laughs> yeah, right. Our, our number one listener, Al Fanning. Yes. It's kind of funny how Elle, like has really surpassed Dakota. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I think it's also a little weird because, you know... Hollywood's obsession with youth and, like, making young women be the, like, yeah. it girls. The of, next thing. Yeah. And, and but Elle is obviously really talented, as is Dakota. It just seems like they discarded Dakota when she hit, like, 19 or something. Yeah, they're like, oof, sorry, honey, you're worn out. Yeah. <laughs> Dakota Fanning was excellent in Twilight 3. Eros decisions are being watched. Either we let them do what they were created for, or we end them. Decisions, decisions. She's like one of the like Italian vampires. It's like Michael Sheen, right, and her. Yeah, and she has a twin brother. <laughs> I don't know why. The ideas of like a twin vampire is like they're definitely fucking. <laughs> I mean, you could surmise that if you've seen it. Yeah. Breaking Dawn Part 1. Thank into you. <laughs> Breaking Dawn is Breaking Dawn Part One is actually terrible. Breaking Dawn Part Two is the best movie of the Twilight franchise. That's where she has the robot baby. Yeah, well, she has she gives birth to the robot baby in Part One. Yeah, and there's the whole thing is like, was she gonna die? Is she not gonna die? Oh, right, because it's like blah, a human blah. can't give birth to a vampire baby. God, so it's so boring. But then the robot baby is more prevalent in Part Three. To you, but it has one of the most epic fight scenes. Is that the one where they like get, they like smash like uh, they smash like statues? They smash. No, they're like sort of in the snow, Ooh. and it's like a face-off between the um, whatever they're called, the Illuminati vampires, and um, Rami Malek, who is <laughs> yes, who plays an Egypt an ancient Egyptian vampire slams the ground and it breaks apart the earth just like that iceberg that just happened you know the one the biggest iceberg that's ever existed that just broke because of climate change so <laughs> topical <laughs> oh my god see we did loop everyone's like why are they talking about breaking dawn and this is why yes my favorite part of breaking dawn is when um they turn to google 
to figure out what will happen to a human if she has a vampire baby. Like they've been alive for hundreds of years and like have these like this beautiful household of leather bound books. And they're just like Google like human vampire baby. I mean, we all <laughs> we all need technology is, I guess, yeah. the moral of that story. <laughs> That's so crazy that they didn't just use like a real toddler and instead used a robot to be like the Cullen's ch- child. So it was a CGI face of like two or three different very beautiful people. Yeah, apparently. which turned one into one beastly little <laughs> one robot really baby. Creepy, creepy ass little child. Um, but yeah, that I feel like was just one of those things where it's like, no one was like, eh, this is weird. Yeah, right. Like, let's just use a kid. Yeah. They exist. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Julianne, would you like to talk about some of the dirtiest dirt of the week with me? I would love to. I love dirty dirt. All right. Um, So I guess like the biggest celebrity story coming off of this weekend is probably Ariana Grande's One Love Manchester benefit concert, which happened. Um, (sighs) Like it's one of those things where it happened to benefit the victims of this really horrible terrorist attack that happened in Manchester at an Ariana Grande concert back in the end of May. Ariana Grande got all of her best celebrity friends together, like Chris Martin from Coldplay. Can you imagine those two, like, hanging out? Well, I can because I watched this in a tiny screen on my computer yesterday while lying on my bed, bawling my face off. Yeah, it was an emotional affair. I mean, Chris Martin, like, has never moved me in that way. Ariana Grande and Chris Martin together seeing, like, Oasis's Don't Look Back in Anger, it was really emotional. You know, a lot of the people who were at the original concert were in the audience, um, including some who had been in the hospital and made it a point. You know, little yeah. kids. There was one to, like, little be brave and like go and right and go have see the showing their of solidarity. Faith. It was important because um, you know Ariana Grande should, I guess, be our new Secretary of State. <laughs> right, much better at diplomacy and like <laughs> yeah, handling uh, the after effects of um, a traumatic event. Yes. Also, they raised $2.6 million, which is, that's just like not even from ticket sales. That's from viewership, like viewers donating. Um, Yeah. And they got Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus. Pharrell. Pharrell, yeah. Will I Am was out there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, you haven't seen Will I Am in a little bit. He was out there. And the big thing was that Liam Gallagher of Oasis, which is originally from Manchester, busted out there and did some of the hits. That had the audience bawling, which I, it's it, I think like Oasis and Blur is kind of a weird gap in my musical knowledge, mm-hmm. um, where it's like I never got terribly into either of them, but then you see the stadium just just hollering along to Oasis songs, right? And it's just like oh, I just missed out on a major thing. Well, I you know some of it though because I was watching the audience very closely because I was like, do these like youth know or care about Liam Gallagher? Who, by the way, was wearing the same outfit I think he's worn for the past 25 years. <laughs> I made that joke on Twitter, but I need to reiterate it because it is that dude has been wearing a like an oversized orange rain jacket since like 1992 in like at like the last the first rave he ever went to. But um <laughs> Actually, don't know. If, yeah, he probably went to raves. Um, <laughs> I bet he's done a lot of things. He's probably done a lot of things. But uh, the big thing, though, was that 
Noel Gallagher didn't show up. Yeah, there was some rumors that there was going to be an Oasis reunion, but the Gallagher brothers just despise each other. <laughs> it would never happen. It would never happen. And, you know, the notoriously like when Oasis was a band and in their kind of heyday in the 90s, it was even notorious then that they hated each other. They used yeah. to get into fistfights. They would like speak about each other on the in the press. And it was like this whole thing, which I think contributed to their rock star myth. But now it, you know, no, yeah. like really is your hate that strong that you would diss these yeah, this like benefit just, concert. Yeah, this benefit concert, which was Liam Gallagher's sentiment as well. Yeah, Liam Gallagher popped off on Twitter after the concert about how like Noel wouldn't even show up for these fucking kids. Can I just? I, I'm going to read these three tweets. Is okay. that okay? Are you going to read them as Liam Gallagher? <laughs> okay. It, I apologize. I'll read them as Liam Gallagher. I apologize to anyone from England if this is offensive. I love England. I'm a notorious Anglophile, actually. She is. It's true. I love grime. Grime for Corbin. Um, Manchester. <laughs> oh, God. Whoa. <laughs> I'd like to apologize for my brother's absence last night. Very disappointed. Stay beautiful. Stay safe. I'm, I can't do an English accent. I don't know. So, I liked the attempt, though. Okay. <laughs> LGX. Fuck the reunion, mate. It ain't about Oasis. Oh, that's better. Yeah. It ain't about Oasis. It's about people helping other people. And he's once again shown his true fucking colors. <laughs> Nose out of the fucking country, what we all love. Get on a fucking plane and play your tunes for the kids, you sad fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that took me somewhere. I'm really sorry for my bad. I mean, I, I've done plenty of terrible accents, I think, into this <laughs> microphone. Um, but that was like, that was gorgeous. I love those tweets. Yeah, aren't we all mates? Yeah, right. Like, get on a plane. I think it's, do you think that Twitter is the best or worst thing to ever happen to Liam Gallagher? <sighs> Uh, best, maybe? I mean, he's, like, always been incendiary, but it's just, like, at least before he had to, like, ring up NME to be, like, my fucking brother. <laughs> my fuck oh, see, there you go. Oh, that's a better accent. Um, I think all of this really feeds into his rock star persona, and he knows it, and yeah. I think that Liam Gallagher's, like, no fucks tweet style a la a certain president benefits him more than it benefits, say— a certain president. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would. I think he would be horrible. Don't get me wrong. But I still think I would vote for Liam Gallagher over Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. Like he would be awful. But I don't even know what be Liam Gallagher believes in. Right. I mean, I just feel like he would just be like not going to meetings like that would be his He'd thing. Be He's too, just like, like, yeah, fucked up all the time. Yeah. He would, like, get into, like, fistfights at the UN or something, which at least that would be entertaining. I mean, at least it would be honest, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. And one thing, so kind of back to the concert that yeah. I find interesting is that there are people who are hardly famous in the U.S. who are global stars elsewhere, where it's like the U.S. market is like notoriously really hard to break into. And then that's very clear, I feel, with Robbie Williams. He's not completely unheard of in the U.S., but he tried several times to become big here and it just never happened. And then seeing him at the benefit concert and watching the audience just lose it over him. It's just like, oh, he's actually one of the biggest rock stars in the world. Yo, it's amazing. And I remember, I mean, I like, I, I he's, it's not just in the UK, it's all over Europe. Yeah. And the US could not give two fucks about Robbie Williams. No, it's, I mean, I think I watch a lot of um, British game shows on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so I have like a weird knowledge of British TV panel, like, I don't know. There's, like, a whole panel culture there. Yeah. And so it's, like, because of that, I have a weird knowledge of these kind of obscure British celebrities. I mean, obscure to us, not yeah. obscure to them. But it's just, it's very strange to just, I mean, and he, he sang the song Strong and sobbed. And it was very sweet. But also, I'm just like, 
Who's that? Oh, it's Robbie Williams. You know, when they were showing the clips, did you, you watched it, right? Okay. Yeah, so I just watched the clips. I didn't, I didn't get the full feed. So in between some of the songs, they would show clips from people saying, you know, one love, we love you, Manchester, people who couldn't make it or whatever. And a lot of them were like, I was like, who is this random, like, British boy band? But then a couple times I was like, wait, are those people American? And you know who it was. I can never recognize 21 Pilots. They, <laughs> and, like, I mean, I recognize the Chainsmokers because they're my absolute nemesis. I don't think you could tell me that they're the same people. And I just would be like, okay. They could I mean, no. I mean, I would take 21 Pilots any day over the Chainsmokers. But, like, it's just, like, some random generic, like— kind of like Burwee White dudes. And I'm like, who are you? But then what 21 Pilots, everyone was like very brief and very like somber. 21 Pilots gave like, they gave like a sermon. It was like, but I guess they're very popular. So people were screaming. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Good for 21 Pilots. Good for pilots. 21 Pilots. They seem like nice guys. Nice boys. Good personalities. Um, and also good for Ariana for, like, pulling this thing together. Yeah. I mean, honestly, again, like, Ariana Grande has always, always been very um, activist or very, maybe not activist, but very um, outspoken about what she believes in and she'll put money into it yeah, and effort. Definitely. And in a way that I think maybe people don't necessarily know her for who aren't super fans but now they do she's really like about it yeah on to like a, an embarrassing display of uh i don't know celebrities talking in public which i guess is almost everything kathy griffin's press conference for that photo of her holding up the decapitated head of donald trump yes um was so stupid and clearly just a way like it's so cynical right i'm gonna be honest he broke me he broke me And then I was like, no, this isn't right. This isn't felt right. And I apologize because that was the right thing to do and I meant it. It's cynical in that it's like, you clearly did this to get attention, which is like, fine, that's what Kathy Griffin does. And then it's like, now you're going to turn this into a press conference to like make you seem somehow heroic versus like, all you did was vie for publicity and I don't know, that's what everybody does. Why do you... Yeah, so it was very much like why, first of all, like, Kathy Griffin, I personally don't really, I was like, why are we even talking about this? Like, who cares right. about Kathy Griffin? Sorry. But no, like, I think that's true. What, like, who cares? Like, ooh, CNN fired her. I had no idea that she had anything to do with CNN. Right. Like, what? And then whatever. The image was, like, intentionally provocative. I don't think that anyone should have froged out about it. Right. I mean, it kind of seems like one of those tools for the right to get outraged and then like the left to defend her in a way where it's just like yeah this is just her artistic expression and that's brave where it's just like both sides are very insincere where it's like the right. outrage isn't sincere because like who gives a fuck right the defense of her isn't sincere because again who gives a fuck right she's someone who like I don't know back when she kind of started to blow up when she kind of was doing her d-list tours or whatever I found her really refreshing just because Hollywood is so full of itself and celebrities do feel so protected that it was really refreshing to hear someone tell these intense stories about like celebrities being horrible. Yeah. And that was thrilling and that was new. But now she doesn't really do that anymore. Also because she kind of got famous and then is now not so famous anymore. Yeah. It all seems very thirsty. And yeah, like the press, you know, her saying that Trump is bullying her. Like, who isn't Trump bullying here? Like, yeah. who isn't? And it's not like, you know, her First Amendment rights were come after. Like, right. it wasn't. And I don't understand why Lisa Bloom would represent her because Lisa Bloom actually represents people who have very um, serious legal claims against Donald Trump. And so 
it it all seemed very thirsty, like a ploy for um, attention and frankly boring yeah. and a waste of our time. <laughs> all right. Well, then let's move on. Word. <laughs> and we'll never speak of Kathy Griffin again. Never again. So now we're going to do kind of a flashback dirtiest dirt. We're going to go all the way back to the early 90s when a little show called Twin Peaks took ABC by storm. Kind of shook up the late night network. It aired opposite of Cheers. Yes. So it was like clearly ABC was putting something on it. And it was weird and it was freaky deaky and not pretty typical for network television. It was dark and not linear also, which was really predated prestige television. Yeah. And so David Lynch was involved, I think, for the first season and a half, I want to say, and then left because he felt like he was losing artistic control. Um, and also just because he's a notorious weirdo who I'm sure just like has tantrums a lot. <laughs> um, but I feel like one of our favorite things now is like onset gossip of yeah. whatever, you know, whatever's happening currently, be it like Riverdale, like, oh, who's 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 fighting on the set of Riverdale, um, you know, or anything. And so I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about some of the behind the scenes drama of Twin Peaks because it was another cast that was like really young and really hot. And of course, they got into like weird little feuds. Weird little feuds. Flashback Fridays, Dirtiest Dirt. Yeah. Twin Peaks, 1989. What? <laughs> We're going all the way back. And let's start with this weird uh, Kyle MacLachlan, Sherilyn Fenn, Laura Flynn Boyle triangle. Yes. Um, that kind of destroyed the show. <laughs> It destroyed the show and it just, it changed the show. <laughs> yeah, completely. So what was happening was Kyle MacLachlan, who played Special Agent Dale Cooper, who was essentially the star of the show, if you could have a star in the ensemble cast, was dating Laura Flynn Boyle, who played Donna. So they started dating after the first season. And Laura Flynn Boyle increasingly got jealous, reportedly, was yes. increasingly jealous, especially at the fact that Special Agent Dale Cooper kept having scenes with um, Audrey, a.k.a. Sherilyn Fenn, and they were getting sort of romantically... They were growing together romantically. Yes. And also fans were really into it. Fans loved it. And they were like, they had a lot of like spicy on-screen chemistry Right. And, you know, at that time, like, it was like Lara Flynn Boyle was playing Donna. She was the good girl. Yeah. And Sherilyn Fenn was sort of the smoldering, sultry. I would find it, honestly, I would find it impossible to not be jealous of Sherilyn Fenn. If she now then, like, she is, like, maybe the sexiest woman alive. Yeah. She's beautiful, sexy. She Everyone was young and hot at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so, apparently, this is the rumor the goss is that Lara Flynn Boyle started pressuring Kyle McLaughlin to pressure the writers and complain about the way his character was going so he would have less scenes with Sherilyn Fenn because Lara Flynn Boyle was getting very jealous. Very. And this is also something that was confirmed by Sherilyn Fenn, where she has like talked about it multiple times. She is very adamant that there was nothing going on off screen between her and Kyle MacLachlan. But she was like, yeah, like Audrey and Agent Cooper were kind of supposed to be together. And there was a lot of chemistry there. And they were really into each other. But in an interview with the AV Club in 2014, Sherilyn Fenn said, Lara was dating Kyle and she was mad that my character was getting more attention. So then Kyle started saying that his character shouldn't be with my character because it doesn't look good because I'm too young. Literally, because of that, they brought in Heather Graham, who's younger than I am for him, and Billy Zane for me. I was not happy about it. It was stupid. We should also add that she said, it was a silly thing that Audrey Horn and Agent Dale Cooper didn't stay together because that's what should have happened. It happened organically without anyone making a plan for it to happen. But they had to stop because people got mad and jealous. And it was just stupid. Ugh. 
(laughs) I love that that was in 2014, years later. I mean, I get it, though. Imagine, because, like, that was... Listen, you're doing art, and and I'm sure the writers, like, the writers were probably like, oh, God, because imagine being in a writer's room, you come up with this whole storyline, you've probably written, like, several episodes, and then someone who's in your cast, who's mad because her boyfriend is having acting scenes, which is his job with one of your co-stars, and is like, oh, you have to change all this. It's like, what? I would be like, if I were a writer on that show, I would definitely protest. I would definitely be like, yo, girl, you got to collect yourself. All right, so Donna falls off the cliff into the ocean. There, that that would be my, my, my note. Well, also, here's the other thing is I'm not sure if it was around that time, but I think it was. Sherilyn Fenn at a certain point, I think, was dating Johnny Depp. Like, I mean, whatever Johnny Depp is now, like, Johnny Depp was— She was, like, dating, like, primo Johnny Depp? Like, hot 1989 Johnny S. Depp. Hell. Like, I think she dated him right before Winona. Like, real, like, primo Johnny Depp. God, he really had a type, too. He sure did. Why would you need— Kyle McLaughlin, if you have Johnny Depp, like, in 1989. We'll put everything now aside. Uh, Where is Laura Flynn Boyle now is what I would like to know. I mean, I'll say, like, you can Google image search and it's just, it it paints a sad story about, like, where her life has gone. Also, she, I think, at some point after Kyle McLaughlin was dating David Spade, and then she left David Spade for Jack Nicholson, who she was with for years. And now she's, like, married to some other guy. What is with David Spade, though? Why does yeah. everyone want to date David Spade? David Spade must have a quality because he he does well. I guess. Didn't he, like, date Heather Locklear in the 90s, too? Like, he, I don't know. And now he's dating Naya Rivera, who's, like, 30. Yeah. Well, there was one Allegedly. TMZ clip that I watched, I have to say, where they were, like, TMZ was trying to figure out why Naya Rivera would allegedly be dating David Spade. And they... Uh, stopped Heather Locklear in, like, the airport, and they were like, yo, why would Naya Rivera be dating David Spade? And she basically was like, he's a very big dick. <laughs> she didn't say it like that, yeah. but she said, like, well, you know, he's, a fun- he's funny, and also he's hung or something. <laughs> so, I mean, David Spade, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, he also, like, kind of, ale- he also allegedly dated one of the girls from Vanderpump Rules, which I find very funny. Oh, my God. Julianne just showed me a picture of Sherilyn Fenn and Johnny Depp together. And it's like, one, they look like siblings, but they look so attractive. They're so attractive. But the craziest thing here was that, so Twin Peaks Firewalk with me was made after the series ended, but it was the prequel. It was what David Lynch wanted to show Every all the events that happened before what happened in the series happened. Sort so, of like Laura, it's Laura Palmer's story as Laura opposed Pal- to the story about Laura Palmer. If right, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So obviously Donna, which is Laura Flynn Boyle's character in the series, is a major part of Firewalk with me because it's about Laura Palmer and Donna is Laura Palmer's best friend. Um, because of all this drama, apparently. Either Laura Flynn Boyle was not in Firework with me, either because scheduling conflicts. Yeah, she said scheduling conflicts. And she was uh, doing Wayne's World around the same time. Another classic film. The 90s, baby. Or was it that she didn't want to work with Kyle MacLachlan, who she had broken up with? It's almost (laughs) like your onset romances when you're 19 years old don't play out. I know, right? In a way that, like, you know, it's like, oh, you kind of, like, fucked up this other woman's career a little bit, and uh, now you've broken up with him also. Yeah. But Moira Kelly played Donna in Firewalk with me, and she was great. And um, sorry, I didn't really miss Laura. I also heard that um, a part of it might be because since it's a prequel, they needed Donna to be, like, a little bit more innocent-seeming, and she kind of grows up so much in the series um, and Laura right. Boyle at that point was, you know, aging out at 22 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, like, wanted to bring in someone who was, like, much younger seeming so that kind of, like, the more uh, scandalous scenes would be more disturbing. Oh, that makes sense. I do want to uh, also say that Sherilyn Fenn was on 
uh, a Twin Peaks podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast called Twin Peaks Unwrapped earlier this year. And she kind of doubled down on the Laura Flynn Boyle claims. And instead of having his character go towards Joan Chen, which was their original plan, they had him start to come towards me until his girlfriend, Laura Flynn Boyle, (laughs) kiboshed as an astonishing thing. And first one that told and wasn't supposed to, but oh well, that's me. Um, I I was shocked, you know. I remember saying to David, you mean, like, is this how it goes? Like, (laughs) <laughs> an actor complains that right. she's the girlfriend and then you change. Yeah. yeah. And then she started like so smoking in scenes and doing all kinds of strange. I think she danced in a scene. And- God, I love this music. Isn't it too dreamy? And were there any directions you had wished they had uh, moved Audrey into? No, I mean, I think the biggest one is the obvious one. I was mm, really, yeah. really upset that they moved me away from Dale Cooper. The funniest thing, which you probably maybe heard me say before, is that they now Kyle will admit the truth. Then he wouldn't. Mm. Um, but at, at the time, they were, he was saying, no, my character, is she's too young for me. Okay, well, meanwhile, he's with a girlfriend. I'm 24, 25. His girlfriend's 19. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, and you know what's messed up is that obviously that they changed it because Agent Dale Cooper was the most important, basically one of the most important character in the series. Yeah. And so they didn't want to piss Kyle off. Right. Which is like so funny now. I don't know. I think I kind of like get the attraction to Kyle McLaughlin watching. I'm watching season one and two of Twin Peaks right now. And I get it because he's kind of like a little bit dorky, but also, like, clearly really handsome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get the appeal, but seeing Kyle McLaughlin now, or even just as, like, Trey in Sex in the City, yeah, was just like, it's just like, wait, they were fighting over him? Like, girls, come together. You know, I had the hots for Kyle McLaughlin as a youth, and then Sex in the City totally killed that, because Trey is such a square and, like, a pen-up. But um, I do want to say that in New York City on Friday, Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin had... <laughs> A wine tasting at um, a wine store called Bottle Rocket, which is very close to the Jezebel office. And Maddie and I signed up. Yeah, we wanted to, to go. go drink. And it like it literally was advertised as drink wine with Agent Cooper. Right. It was and and it was not only drink wine with Agent Cooper, it was Agent Cooper a.k.a. Kyle McLaughlin, is going to be there pouring the wine because it's from his vineyard or something. So... You know, it's on Facebook, and we sign up when there are, like, 500 people are going. And then, you know, by the end of the day, it's, like, a 1,000 people are going. Like, so Madeline declined to come to the office that day. And so I was like, all right, I'll just go check it out. Went there. Um, It was, like, two and a half city blocks, the line. Obviously, I wasn't going to stand in line for two and a half city blocks because— To get, like, an inch of wine from— and like a photo, but it, 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 and you know, and I don't like to, I'm not standing in a freaking line for a wine tasting. I will say that's why I declined is because we had some scouts out early who was like, the line is already around the block. The line, it's, it started at five and the line was already starting at 3.30. So, but I do think this is a testimony to how enduring Twin Peaks is and how Twin Peaks The Return is really resonating with fans, which I think people, longtime fans were really nervous about it Yeah, um, to begin with, because how do you take a, a cult thing like that and then update it 25 years later? Obviously, we now have technology. <laughs> um, and but it's I think it's almost universally thought of as a success. So it really shows the enduring because I doubt like a ton of people were there because they love Trey. Right. In Sex and the City, yeah, who like, knows? I mean, people might just be really big fans of the McDougal family. Yeah, I mean, they were. he's a great actor. He's a great actor. I mean, maybe there were some Showgirls fans there. Oh, right. He does have a starring turn in Showgirls. Totally. Or maybe there were people there who were just like, love wine. <laughs>
I had mentioned this to you earlier, but one thing I'm really enjoying about watching Twin Peaks with fresh eyes is that um, even though it's really much, it's very much considered prestige television and probably one of the best shows ever made by a lot of people, uh, <laughs> it is just a soap opera. And really blatantly, it's an homage to soap operas in that there are soap operas playing in the background. So much of the like really ridiculous twists that other people would call artsy are just like straight out of Days of Our Lives. Yeah. Where it's just, you know, oh, guess what? Our murder victim has a cousin who looks exactly like her. And oh, this factory blew up, but they never found the body of one of the people. Yeah. And it's just all so silly. And I think people really want to credit David Lynch for that, and they should. But also, None of that is new because it all is just borrowed from soap operas. Mm -hmm. And I say that in an appreciative way because I like that type of thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's if you know, he's he pays homage also to like the really campy qualities of film noir. Yeah. Pulpy. Pulpy. Yeah. Just sort of like the super dramatic, you know, and I think he subverts it, obviously, by doing it in a totally weird way. But I think that... um, you know, the way that super fans take Twin Peaks, like uh, you were saying to me earlier, that they like tw- super Twin Peaks fans will argue with you like for days and take it so seriously. But ultimately, it's a really funny show. Yeah. Why would you take it seriously when it's so funny? Yeah. And he's he's definitely making fun of himself a lot. So with that, you know, like soap operas, all of the characters are tropes, right? And they're very blatantly. Yeah, blatantly tropes. And like um a lot of people have talked about how he really um sort of has like a weird issue with women or not weird issue with women, but the way he deals with women is sort of um interesting. And I think but I think it's different from what a lot of people think it is. I don't think that he necessarily objectifies women. Right. And I don't think that he um really sort of makes them out to be all evil. I think what his main problem is is that he almost overpedestalizes women. So yeah. and the only thing for the most part that corrupts the women in his shows are men. And and part of that is because the structure of Twin Peaks is very much about like good versus evil, heaven versus hell, like, and then whatever is in between that. Right. And and I think that he posits that it's very blurred, whatever is in between that. And it's there's no like binary. But so the women are always corrupted by like evil. Sure. And evil is usually in the form of men. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, So he gets gruesome, but I think he is gruesome with all of the characters. Yeah, I think he just has a general disdain for humanity in some ways. I mean, also just like there's the good girl, there's Donna, there's the femme fatale, which is Audrey. There's like James, who is just sort of like the starry-eyed lover who usually, and, and you know, in fiction for centuries, that character is kind of a dope. The dopey bad boy poet. I know about you and Evelyn. I wouldn't blame you if you hated me. James, I know what you were feeling. I was feeling it too. Evelyn just took advantage of it. And then you have, with the men, there's still such similar roles where it's like, there's like the upstanding cop who like really is just, doesn't have much going on to him. Everything he does is pretty decent. Um, The quirky detective who's, you know, so weird, but somehow it makes him stumble into these discoveries that no one else could find. And he has this sort of unassailable moral compass where he is the FBI agent. I mean, even that is like some pulpy gumshoe shit where it's like Agent Dale Cooper is, you know, the weird, very serious, like weird guy who's like really into coffee. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. I've had, I can't tell you how many cups of coffee in my life, and this this is one of the best. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it, but when you get to the return, the the coffee themes are so funny, which also bless, bless. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a trope, too. It's like all of these sort of archetypes. Well, and then like Audrey's dad is just like very much a villain, you know, it's yeah. just, it's. I don't think anybody is painted unfairly just in that everybody is kind of boxed in and it doesn't really change depending on gender. 
Although I will say he definitely has some like Madonna horror <laughs> complex yeah, absolutely. things happening where it's just like it does switch around a little bit, which is interesting where it's like sometimes people start off seeming really good and then will kind of develop into a whore. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but usually because of some force outside of her. Um, it, it's also interesting that um, he rarely casts women of color. Um and, you know, especially in the first season, it's like right. Joan Chen and that's it. Yeah, Josie. Yeah, Josie, a.k.a. played by Joan yeah. Chen, wonderfully. But he, so with the women that he casts, it's always a Betty and a Veronica. Totally. It's really funny. Like, he has this obsession with this, like, Blondes pure and blonde and like the, yeah. Yeah, blondes and brunettes. It's, but very sort of 50s, obviously. And like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, another person who's not involved in the reboot is the arm. I not good news. That's the music he's going to. Come back in style. Yes. Um, he, his real name is Michael J. Anderson. You might also know him from the show Carnival. He's been in a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but he is not on it. And it's also seemingly like a right-wing wacko. <laughs> he seems very like he is pretty alt-right. Yeah, he like posts like a lot of like uh, anti-Islam memes on his Facebook page, a lot of anti-Obama memes, which is like, he's not the president anymore. Move on. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, but he is like very angry about the Twin Peaks reboot. And he posted, <laughs> he wrote this on Facebook, which I just... Really love for, like, the emphasis of everything. Um, I couldn't watch Twin Peaks when it originally aired because it was so boring. Every time I tuned in, it was people talking in a room. That's it. And if I stayed long enough to hear what they were saying, they would be talking about nothing. That's all caps, by the way. I figured out that I couldn't follow the plot or had to make one up because there was no plot. (laughs) A man went to a town to investigate a murder. That's it. Nothing else ever happens. Just people talking in rooms. Also, that's like what a play is. It's like every... (laughs) Um, And all this talking never advanced the murder investigation one bit. I liked the part that I was in because I was in it, but it still didn't make a hoot of sense. Hard to watch, period. It freaking made sense. You were in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Come on. It all came together, dog. Also, like, if it doesn't, like, I don't know. It's all over the place because it's all over the place. Like, what did he think he was signing on for? But anyway. Also, he, let's be real. No one would know who Michael J. Anderson was if it weren't for Twin Peaks. That's so true. you better I mean, step again, up and recognize. No one's coming up to him being like, oh, you were so good in Carnival. Although he was pretty good in Carnival. I have to give him that. I've never seen it. It's pretty good. It's pretty scary. Um, but then, all right, so the arm, Mr. Anderson, Michael J. Anderson, got crazier and also kind of accused David Lynch of basing the plot of Twin Peaks on his, like, own attractions to his daughter, which is, like, a crazy fucking thing. It's a crazy assertion. And he also sort of alluded to um, Jack Nance's semi-mysterious death. Yeah, Eraserhead's Jack Nance. (laughs) Eraserhead's Jack Nance, um, the character actor who was a really good friend of David Lynch and um, seemed to imply that David Lynch was responsible for his death? Yeah, I mean, the me- like the message again on Facebook, because that's where crazy people write things, is like kind of this very sarcastic missive, which he says, oh, he totally did not rape his own underage daughter and then write a television series about it. She totally has not lived under a death threat from her own father all her life if she ever told He never had his best friend murdered, and he definitely never suggested to me that I should kill myself. There's a whole bunch of other stuff he never did either. Um, David Lynch's daughter at one point was just like, excuse me, what? Like, she like, she caught wind of these accusations and was just flabbergasted and was sort of just like, why is this man even talking about me? Like, I don't. Yeah, she posted a long Instagram that was basically like, I am really sorry that I have to do this and I feel bad for Michael J. Anderson, but none of this is true and this is insane and oh, I don't know what the hell is going on, basically. Also, 
you know, Jack Nance didn't really die under mysterious circumstances. It wasn't like, you know, Hollywood land or whatever. It was like, yeah, like it was he was hanging in the middle of the room with nothing but a puddle of water underneath his feet. Right. Exactly. No, he um, he got into what was mysterious is that he got into a fist fight and you know, they don't know why or who, but then I guess he got punched so hard that he um, died of a subdural hematoma. That's horrible. Horrible. And he also had a really high blood alcohol level. So, you know, it's like quote unquote mysterious, but it's not like Black Dahlia or whatever. Okay, Julianne, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to play a game. I'm going to challenge you to identify the eyebrows of certain David Lynch characters. I love it. You don't have to say the character's name. You can just say the actress's name. Okay. Um, or vice versa. Okay? Okay. Eyebrow number one. Sort of a thin brow uh, and a kind of large forehead. So um, I'm going to say, is that Laura Flamboyle? It's not. Is that Machin Amick? It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this is Shelly on uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, she has blonde hair with very dark brows. It, they look amazing on the show. She is in The Return also and has not aged a day. She looks amazing. She was also the stepmom on Gilmore Girls. And is now on Riverdale. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, all right. Some of these are a little bit pixelated because I had to zoom in. Okay. Next eyebrow. Is that Moira Kelly? Yes. I love Moira Kelly's eyebrows. Yeah, She I has know. really great eyebrows. <laughs> Ju- Julianne showed me Firewalk with me. And I think the first thing I said when I saw her was like, oh, she has great eyebrows. All right. And the next eyebrow. Man, that is a tough one. The brows are sort of light brown. Mash the hair. Is that Laura Flamboyle? That is Laura Flamboyle. How did I know that? I think it's the freckles probably helps. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I didn't know those were freckles. I was like, oh, this person has the same problem with acne scars I have. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Laura Flamboyle. Let's be real. All right, this let's is be real. The Alicia Keys shit. All right, this is going to be the easiest one of all of them. Okay. Okay. So you're just going to get it right Sherilyn away. Sherilyn Fenn. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you you didn't even have to show me. Sherilyn Fenn has some of the best eyebrows that um, are... That exist. Exist. They're so good. They're kind of fluffy at the, like, the middle yeah. part. And then they have this amazing natural arch. That, yeah, it's just like a... It's sharp, too. Yeah, and it's unfathomable. Like, so many people try to train their eyebrows to be that way, yeah. and she just hasn't naturally. And then they just, like, dart off her face. I don't know. They're beautiful. They're yeah. just, like... It's like a the scene um, in the first season of Twin Peaks where her and Donna are talking in the bathroom and there's like the zigzag behind them on the bathroom wall. It's like that's her eyebrows are basically like that angled. I've been doing some research. In real life, there is no algebra. Maybe you should run away and join the circus. Okay, now we're going to move on to some, like, other Lynch movies. Oh, we're not man. we're not just in the Twin Peaks universe anymore. Oh, man. Next eyebrow. Oh, um. So uh, this is a very thick, dark brow. Is that Isabella Rossellini? Yes. You're really good at this. Well, the hair, the wig, that's from Blue Velvet, right? I couldn't cut out the wig. Yeah. But me. also, I mean, Isabella Rossellini has very distinct brows also. I've seen a, I like David Lynch a lot. I know. <laughs> and that actually is from Wild at Heart, I think. Oh, okay. Another eyebrow? Um, (laughs) A thinner brow. A thinner brow. Dark. It it definitely looks like it's um, from Blue Velvet. But now I I might have to pass. I have to pass. Well, it's a trick. It's Isabella Rossellini again. Oh, my God. That's what I thought. I didn't realize that you tricked me. That's from Blue Velvet, right? Yeah. (laughs) It was killing me. All right. This, one this I think, is funny that I have, like, face blindness, but I can recognize people's Yeah, eyebrows. you're like, don't have brow. All right, this, I think, is going to be pretty obvious because I couldn't cut out the hair. It looks like Madonna, honestly. It is not. Is that Laura Dern? Yep. Okay. Laura, Laura. Dern and Wild at Heart. Laura Dern um, 
in Wild at Heart who, you know, I keep seeing this narrative that people don't appreciate Laura Dern. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, like, who doesn't appreciate Laura Dern? Everyone appreciates Laura Dern just because she hasn't gotten Oscars. Who cares? She's had, like, a long, like, pretty impressive career. She's been acting since she was, like, 14. Also, like, she had Enlightened, which was a really popular, a really well-liked show. Right. Critically acclaimed. And then she was in Big Little Lies. Yeah, and she, and, she and this is like the post Big Little Lies is like, oh, why don't we appreciate Laura Dern? You know what? We do appreciate Laura Dern. I don't know where y'all been. Um, this is another, I think, one that is going to be pretty easy. Is that Naomi Watts? It is Naomi Watts and Mahon Tribe. All right, this is our last one. Naomi Watts also in Twin Peaks, The Return. Is she? Yep. Wow, I got to catch up. Yep. All right, last one. It's like a very bold brow, uh, dark, thick. Is that Kyle MacLachlan? It is? Yeah. I got it? Yeah. It's Kyle MacLachlan in Dune. I can't believe you got that one. That was like my trick one. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. Maybe that I should like, become to... a brow specialist. Yeah. That was my one to throw you off. I can't believe that I got that. In Dune, which is one of the only David Lynch movies I haven't seen, which I right. know, but whatever. Yeah. I had Give to cut break. out his like blue glowing eyes. Because his eyes glow or something. Yeah. Dune's also like three hours long. I mean, he can blame me. So you got every single one right, except for the second Isabella Rossellini, and that's because I tricked you. Also, you I guess you got uh you got Madchen on the second guess, but yeah, I'm I gonna did. let you have it. Thank you so much. I feel you did a really, really like great job. I should my second life should be an esthetician. I think you should definitely yeah, just yeah. retire. <laughs> Go work at a brow bar. <laughs> oh my god. What a I feel like that would be such a scary job because if you, like, fuck up someone's face, they'll be so mad at you. I mean, I'd rather fuck up someone's brows than someone's, like, plastic surgery, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's true. Your eyebrows grow back. Yes. Um, Julianne, thank you so much. You were a delight. Thank you so much for having me. You were a delight. Please come back on anytime you want. Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you so much to Julianne Escobedo-Shepard. Our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Monana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Want to send us a tip or let us know what you think? Hit us up at dirtcast at jezebel.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.